Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me? Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, as we come to you now, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, we had an interesting day in our house yesterday. Um, my wife fell ill on Friday night, and so she woke up Saturday morning not feeling well. Um, my uh, children and I started to do some things around the house, and we needed to clean out the shed that is behind uh, uh, at the back of our property. And in this shed, it's actually more of like a lean-to, and so it's outdoor, and it's got a dirt floor, and it's got lots of leaves that have collected back there, and I've got some shovels and some rakes and our weed whacker and things like that. And so we were cleaning that out. And uh, as we were uh, taking out all that equipment, uh, suddenly Elliot, who was helping us, yells, look out, run! <laughs> and all of a sudden, my arms and my face felt like they were on fire. Uh, it seems like we had disturbed a yellow jacket nest. Uh, Maddie Grace was next to me. Uh, the, all the kids were helping me take these things out, and she started screaming. So I grabbed her, and we ran as fast as we could back to the house, swatting yellow jackets away uh, as we were going. Uh, it turns out uh, Elliot and Oliver and Abigail were fine. Uh, Maddie Grace and I got the brunt of it. Uh, she got stung twice. Uh, I got stung five times. Uh, but uh, it was quite the experience. It was that adrenaline rush. Uh, that we had. Uh, thankfully, some essential oils, some Motrin, uh, got rid of the swelling and the pain, uh, and a good long nap for all of us that afternoon. Uh, when we woke up, we were, we were great after that. Um, but uh, I would have loved to seen some video of us <laughs> as we were running through the yard, Elliot yelling for us to run. Um, but uh, it reminded me a lot of our passage for this morning. And uh, we're going to see how this actually ties in to what Peter is telling us to do uh, to save ourselves from this crooked generation. I thought it was interesting that God provided uh, that for us yesterday. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll tie that in later as we talk about what Peter is telling us to do here, uh, the conclusion to his sermon to save ourselves from this present or this crooked generation so last week, as we looked at the conclusion to Peter's sermon, uh, we talked about this dance that we have as Christians to repent 
and to believe the gospel. Uh, Peter calls uh, the, the people there at the day of Pentecost to repent and be baptized. And we said that baptism is a, is a sign and seal of our faith in Christ, of the repentance, uh, the forgiveness of our sins. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. It is a sign of faith. And so what Peter is asking or calling the people to do is to do this dance of repentance and belief, of repentance and believing in the gospel. And when we do that, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mentioned last week, I felt like we needed to return to this passage to continue work our way through it so that we can not only talk about baptism, but of who should be baptized and about the rest of Peter's sermon of saving ourselves from this crooked generation. So that's what we will do here this morning. So uh, we're going to talk briefly again about baptism, and uh, starting there at verse 39. And the question for us uh, this morning is, what does Peter mean when he says here in verse 39 that the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself? Now let's just start off by saying, obviously there's different interpretations of this verse, and we're going to respect that. Um, but as we uh, in the Presbyterian Church in, the, in America, as we present uh, the, uh, the teaching of Scripture as we believe it, um, I believe that what Peter is saying here is that there's a continuity between the Old Covenants and the New Covenants that God has given to us, uh, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in Christ. And there are similarities between the signs of that covenant in the Old Covenant, God had given us the sign of circumcision. He had given that to Abraham when he had made the promise to Abraham and to his children. And I believe that in the New Covenant that Christ has made with us, that he has given us the sign of baptism. In the Old Covenant, this sign of circumcision was frequently given to those even before faith was professed. So when Isaac received the sign of circumcision, it was before he had faith in Christ, uh, before he had faith in God. Um, and so that carries over to the new covenant that we have today. Even before we profess faith, we put the sign of the covenant on our children. Um, I was going to go deeper into this. Um, I felt like with what happened this past week, we need to spend more time on what Peter calls this crooked generation. And so here's what I'm going to say about baptism. Um, others may disagree on the stance that the Presbyterian Church in America takes. Uh, we don't even all agree here in this congregation, and that's okay. Uh, that's because we have not made the issue of baptism an essential issue. Uh, you can be a member of this church and believe various things on the issue of baptism, and that's okay, and that's fine. But here's where we want to land when we talk about this issue of do we believe in infant baptism? Do we believe in believer's baptism? Who should be baptized? Who should not be baptized? Uh, there's a saying that goes like this. Uh, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Uh, I believe that the outside world, non-Christians, are watching us. They're watching us very closely. And if the unbelieving world has the right to judge whether or not we are Christians by the love that we have for one another, as it says in John 13, as the Lord tells us, 
Uh, if we refuse to show love or dignity and respect to fellow believers who disagree with us on this point of doctrine, then how will that look to the outside world? So, we as believers shall come together. Uh, we will continue to promote here at Trinity the, inf- the practice of infant baptism. We believe that's what Scripture uh, promotes. However, we will continue to show liberty to those who don't agree and treat everyone with charity. I believe that's what the Bible is calling us to do. So speaking of treating people with charity, it's been another rough week in our nation, has it not? Uh, We mentioned that this morning during our Sunday school time, and we just spent a time of prayer as we uh, concluded our time, because I feel like our nation, our culture, needs prayer right now. It needs a lot of prayer. Um, Many of you probably saw what happened in the news, uh, the the shooting that happened earlier in the week uh, down in Baton Rouge, and then later on in the week, uh, a few days later in Minnesota, and then uh, the the police shootings in Dallas as well. Um, It's been very tense in our country. Um, I was, I've been praying for Josh as he's been up in Minnesota, uh, heading up there. Josh Children's has been traveling up there. So is he okay? Any riots? Okay. Okay. So, um, but uh, there's a lot of turmoil in our country right now. And uh, we need to be aware of what is going on and know how to respond as Christians. And I think that Peter, in uh, our passage this morning, Uh, gives us a proper way to respond if we understand rightly what he is saying here. So Peter, in verse 40, says, With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So what we need to know here is that what Luke records in uh, in Acts chapter 2 is not the whole sermon that Peter preaches. Uh, He preaches more than just what we have here. And the gist of his other points that he is making is this, that we need to save ourselves from this crooked generation. Well, if we look around right now, I think that we could describe the generation that we live in as crooked. I think we would all agree that that is certainly the case. I mean, just this past week, seven people are dead in three different shootings across our country. And that's just what's going on in our nation. If we look around the world, we could see uh, even more. And I think that uh, what was unique about these is these cell phone videos that allowed us to be able to see firsthand what was going on, even moments after these things were occurring. Um, You know, I honestly didn't know how to feel when I saw those and to to see also what happened in Dallas. Um, I didn't know how to react to that immediately. Uh, Seeing the videos of those tragedies just, it it was very hard to take. Um, We don't know the complete picture. We don't know exactly what's happened. Um, Everything hopefully will come out. But what we do know is this, is that human beings took the lives of other human beings this past week. And we could say that this is what's happening in a crooked generation in which we live. Uh, We talked about from the pulpit before that we shouldn't be surprised by sin. Sin shouldn't take us, uh, we shouldn't be caught off guard by the fact that there's sin in our hearts and that there's sin in the world. Uh, We should be greatly saddened by it, but it shouldn't surprise us. 
Because ever since the fall, it seems like things have been going from bad to worse. Now, I don't know if the times that we are living in now are the worst that they have ever been, but if you're a student of history, you know that things have been awful in the past. Uh, this past week, I've been listening to uh, Eric Metaxas's book. I've been told that I've been saying his name wrong. It's not Metaxas. It's Metaxas or Metaxas. It's not Metaxas. It's Metaxas. Very confusing. So Eric Metaxas has two books that he wrote. One is called Seven Men, and one is called Seven Women. So as the women have been going through Seven Women, I decided, well, why don't I listen to Seven Men and see uh, what, uh, what kind of biographies he has listed there. So I listened to the biographies of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and also Eric Liddell this past week. Uh, they were both men. Uh, who had generations who would be described as crooked as well. They lived during the time of Nazi Germany. Eric Liddell was present during the Japanese occupation of China, which was also terrible. And I think that one of the reasons why things seem so bad right now is because we have this modern technology that we can see what's going on the moment that it's going on. It can be even live streamed. You know, before we had no idea what was happening on the other side of the world, but now we are intimately aware of it, even at the moment that it is happening, the very moment. So here, I feel, is what God was reminding me of this past week. Things may be going from bad to worse. Uh, they may be, um, but I don't think that that's necessarily the point. Peter lived in a crooked generation. He described it here, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Our generation today is crooked. Things have always been bad ever since the fall. Every believer from the sons and daughters of Adam that we have recorded in Genesis chapter 4 to the present day, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the 21st century, every believer has had to live in a crooked generation. And this is why... God sent his son into the world because we live in a crooked world. So the question for us is this. Uh, how does God intend for us to live as believers in our crooked generation? How do we live as Christians? How do we save ourselves from this present and crooked generation? Well, starting next week as we continue on in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at the fellowship of believers in the early church. And I think that's one way that we save ourselves from this crooked generation. And we'll look at that more next week. Their response on how to save themselves is to have this deep and intimate relationship with God and with one another that manifests itself in many ways. Um, praying together, uh, meeting together in one, each other's homes, learning from the apostles, worshiping together, breaking bread, uh, experiencing the sacraments together. That's one of the ways that we save ourselves from this crooked generation. But the question is, how do we engage those outside the church? If we're to save ourselves, what does that really look like? Well, I'm going to argue that it doesn't look like what happened at our house yesterday. It doesn't look like running frantically away from this crooked generation as we had to as we were being attacked by yellow jackets yesterday. 
Uh, in Romans 12, verse 2, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in saving ourselves from this crooked generation, it's not being conformed to the world. But that doesn't mean necessarily that we separate ourselves from it. What it means is that we do not allow this generation to dictate how we live. We don't allow this generation to influence us. Instead, God is calling us to influence this crooked generation. Um, as I was reading or listening to uh, the book Seven Men, uh, I was really drawn to the story of Eric Liddell. And Stephanie shared with me this past week uh, a little bit about what the ladies were studying in the life of Hannah Moore as well. So I just want to lift those two up as examples of how they lived in this world, saving themselves from their crooked generation. Hannah Moore lived around the time of the American Revolution. She lived in England. Uh, she was probably best known for her role in helping William Wilberforce in his fight uh, for the abolition of slavery. Uh, but before that, she became very famous as a playwright and as a poet. Uh, she was an excellent writer. Uh, in fact, her works, what I learned, outsold Jane Austen 10 to 1. And we know Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice and, and, and things like that. Uh, Jane Austen is, is this incredible writer. But at that time, she was even more famous uh, than Jane Austen. And as a believer, she didn't remove herself from the culture, even though the London scene that she was involved in was pretty scandalous and certainly crooked. Instead, she used her writing to influence change, particularly in the abolitionist movement. Her writing helped William Wilberforce to gain traction with the culture at large, and that helped influence and change in Parliament. Uh, she had many friends who were considered scandalous, but instead of removing herself from them, what she did is engage them with the truth of the gospel. So in saving herself from that generation, she engaged them with the truth of the gospel. Eric Liddell did much the same. Uh, if you don't know the story of Eric Liddell, you may have seen the movie that came out about 30 years ago called Chariots of Fire. Uh, it's about the story of Eric Liddell, but it stops short because uh, what, it, uh, what it portrays in his life is uh, the great... Um, uh, what he had done in the Olympic Games. Uh, he became famous because he surrendered an almost perfect chance for him to win a gold medal in running the 100-meter dash because the heats were run on Sunday. So he said that he was not going to do that, and instead he had to run. Uh, he ran a much different race, the 400, and he ended up winning gold in something that he was not uh, projected to win. And so the, the movie portrays this side of Eric Liddell. But what it doesn't portray was the fact that he was born in China to the, his parents were missionaries, and after winning that gold medal, he felt called to the mission field, and he returned to China. While he was on the mission field there, he met his wife, who was a Canadian, and they served on the mission field for several years and had a couple of daughters, and then things turned south. 
Japan started to occupy China. This was the start of the Sino-Japanese War that would eventually blend into the World War II. Um, and things, uh, things were getting more and more dangerous for missionaries there. As the situation started to, to become more and more serious, Eric felt it best to send his family, his wife and his daughters, back to Canada. And he would stay on in the mission there. Not long after his family left, Eric and other foreigners were rounded up and put in an internment camp by the Japanese. As you can imagine, conditions in this camp were less than ideal. Uh, in fact, they were awful. And people in this camp quickly gave up hope. But not Eric, because Eric had hope that came from the gospel. And because of his faith in Christ, Eric shone a ray of hope in this camp, not only to the adults, but especially to the children who were present there. He was always kind and gracious to everyone that he encountered, even the Japanese. So after four long years there in the camp, Eric eventually died from an inoperable brain tumor. And when his family heard of his death back in Canada, obviously they were devastated and they were heartbroken. Uh, later on, his daughter, writing in her journal, asked this question of God. She said, God, why would you allow our father to be separated from us the last four years of his life? Why would you allow that? And after reflection, this is the, the realization that she came to. The conclusion that she drew was this, was that she and her sisters were safe, but the children in that camp were not. In fact, most of the children had lost either one or both of their parents. And those children in the camp simply needed her father. They needed Eric more than she did. I think what's incredible about his story as well if it's not dramatic enough, is that he had the opportunity to be rescued. There was a prisoner exchange that was scheduled, and his name was on that list, but he gave up his spot on that list so that a pregnant woman could be set free instead of him. So how did Eric Liddell save himself from this crooked generation? Well, he engaged it. He didn't run away from it. He ran to it. Saving ourselves from this crooked generation doesn't mean that we distance ourselves from the world. Instead, we run to this generation with the truth of the gospel. We don't allow this generation to influence us. Instead, we are used by God to influence the world around us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses us as witnesses. In uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 12-17, through 17, this is what Paul exhorts young Timothy to do. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
So how are we to be witnesses in this crooked generation by the power of the Holy Spirit? It's by relying and trusting in God's word. So I don't want to sound arrogant here, but we have the answer for this crooked generation. And the answer for this crooked generation is this. It's the gospel. We see a lot of chaos and discord in our world right now. And the answer to that is the truth of the gospel. That there is an almighty and an all-powerful God who exists and who made us in his image. And that despite our sin, despite the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that he loves us with a deep and a powerful love. In fact, he loves the world so much that he sent his son to die so that we might have life. What can wash away our sins, as we will sing in a few moments? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can draw us together again as brothers and sisters in this country? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can span the gap between our police force and the citizens that they protect? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us one and whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How can we show love to one another? Because we know the great love that God has shown us through his son, Jesus Christ. By God's grace, by God's grace, and through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, we have life. And through that, we can do more. Let us pray together. Our most gracious God and our Father in Heaven, Lord, we know that we live in a crooked generation. And we know that it's been that way since the fall. And that is the reason why You sent Your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we might be redeemed. I pray that you would use us as witnesses, as powerful witnesses, by the strength of the Holy Spirit, so that this crooked generation would not influence us, instead that you would use us to influence this crooked generation. We pray that you would build us together in unity, that we would be one as you and your Son and as the Holy Spirit are one. And we know, Lord, that this can only happen through the blood of Jesus. And this is why we sing. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray.